This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Fintech Nexus Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus, coming at you today from our studio in New York City. I've been here all week, and uh, joining me literally in the office next door, right through that wall, is Kevin Travers. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. It's great to have you here. Yes, great uh, great to be here. Love love this city. And Todd Anderson uh, had to pull out at the very last minute, um, and uh, he has some family issues he has to attend to. But uh, Kevin and I are going to uh, take the baton and run with it. So let's let's kick it off. Um, story you wrote, uh, I think it was just yesterday uh, or the day before. I can't remember, Kevin. But uh, Alex Mashinsky, the CEO of Celsius. We've been covering Celsius on the show uh, for several months now. And uh, it looks like the Alex Mashinsky reign has come to an end. He resigned. You know, Kevin, you wrote this piece yesterday. Why don't you tell us uh, what's going on here? Yeah. So right a, a couple weeks after we've been following the story for about four months, three months, Mashinsky was on our stage. So uh, we were set. To, I was actually set to talk to him. And then his company, uh, Celsius, stopped lending. They shut down um, because they fell into this whole bankruptcy debacle. And now uh, this week, he said in a letter and a press release, he was going to step down. Um, he's still going to like hold the reins a bit, trying to help restructure, but no longer managing the day to day or whatever day to day there is. Uh, as a CEO of a firm that's in Chapter 11. Um, now, we were, we've were we been following this story very precisely. I know Isabel Castro, she wrote a great timeline, our other reporter of uh, the situation, and now it's heavily punctuated because the, the man we always lead to is now no longer at the front. I know it's sort of insane, but they're putting the CFO um, up instead of him to be the interim CEO, I guess, as long as the interim will last. Um, he, I don't even know what that means. Are they going to get another one? They might not be a company. In- I don't know. know. It would be hard to recruit for that job, I would think, if you're trying to look for an outside seat. Hey, come join this Chapter 11 uh, company. That yeah, is- it's restructuring. It's great. We're going to sell crypto coins as debt somehow. Um, <laughs> that was another story, I think, this week, which uh, was kind of crazy as well related to that. It's truly nuts. I mean, he, this, the CFO, who is it? It's Chris Ferrero. He was there when in, I mean, for the past two years, the past couple of years. So he's seen their lack of funds, the holes in their budget and still been CFO. So who knows what his reign over the chapter 11, I guess he knows it better than anyone, but yeah, I don't know. They've yeah. always had the public stance that they're doing great, but they weren't. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's the thing. Also, I mean, given where they were at, it's very surprising that, uh, Alex Wachinski decided to actually come speak at our event because we actually had it. I remember on that panel we had um, we had another person pull out just because of all the craziness that was. This was just after the Luna crash and uh, a lot of craziness going on in the crypto markets. He must have known he was in trouble, but he came to he came to speak at a public forum anyway. He was um, fired up. It was yeah. like we're the future of banking, and banks don't have your back. It was yeah. it was ex- I was excited to talk to him, and then two yeah. days before my interview. I'm sorry, we don't have a company. So, <laughs> right. And I was like, I don't think our interview's on anymore, is it? Yes, like, nope. yes, yes, indeed. Okay. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Um, another really interesting story this week from Square. We know we knew this was coming. 
um, you know, Square is supporting, or obviously they're, they're called Block now, but the point of sale program is still called Square, and um, they're prov- they're supporting Apple's um, tap to pay feature on iPhone. So now, if you're a Square merchant, you used to have to have a dongle of some sort. You know, the original one you plugged into the the headphone jack, and I don't have headphone jacks anymore. But it used to they've had they've they've had a physical piece of hardware you've had to operate with. Now they, they 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 sort of beta tested this earlier in the year, and uh, now you just need the Square app and using Apple's tap to pay feature. Your your phone is simply your payment um, acceptance device, and you can accept uh, credit cards. So super interesting. I mean, contactless payments uh, it's huge um, in Europe, and it's becoming a lot bigger here. And clearly, uh, you know, Square or Block thinks that. Uh, people are you know that's that's going to be the way of the future and people are going to pay this way yeah it's awesome i got to show you uh this cash only uh sandwich shop right near our office that will probably use this because i use zelle when i don't have cash um huh. but i can imagine using this all the time um for nfc chip technology we use it to get on the subway here in new york and yep. I, I would like to see this in a consumer version too so sort of like venmo except you can use your card to pay with someone's phone as consumers i, I mean as like a point a person, to person. I, I bet you that's coming that's like you, if coming. i could tap my phone to yours to give you 20 bucks for beer that would be really cool they'll be yes. cooler than what anyone else is doing yeah no i mean I'm, that, that that will be coming but i think it's it's also i mean just all the places that you know i can imagine that you know, you you, you might be uh, you know at a social situation where or, or something when someone said, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to buy this piece of th- th- this, you know, yeah. whatever your your salsa or your jam or your shampoo, whatever it is that you farmers market, you have. Yeah. Farmers markets obviously have been a big big thing for Square, but uh, you know, just you don't have to be, you don't have to have your piece of piece of hardware. With you don't you need the hardware. hardware. I wonder just, how that's going to affect it, like because they do hardware sales, I guess, but. Well, I, the, I think they've always known this was, you know, the hardware piece is, um, you know, it had a, had a, it had a, a life that uh, wasn't infinite. So it's all going to be done with software. And I think it's, it makes tremendous sense. It's better for the environment. It's, it's more efficient and less friction. So I think it's, uh, it's awesome. So anyway, awesome. moving on. Now we're going to talk about the old, old technology, Swift. We all um, know about Swift, uh, which is the way you send money internationally still today. Um, they are, you know, they're very much old technology. They they got like, I don't know how many banks. I think it's more than 10,000 banks like around 11, the world. 11,000, yeah, around the world that uh, are connected to their system. Um, but they, you know, with the, with the crypto um kind of moving into you know money transfer a lot, lot of a lot of companies doing remittances now they're partnering with Chainlink um, and Chainlink's a, a crypto company that sort of focuses on the data and analysis side and they're going to be doing they're developing this um, CCIP which stands for cross chain interoperability protocol like like uh, TCPIP but it's CCIP and it's um it's basically going to be able to you're able, you're able to communicate between multiple blockchains. So if you're trying to send money from Ethereum to Bitcoin, whatever, it can all be done inside Swift. And it's uh, it's just a proof of concept right now. But good to see Swift trying to get with the program of uh, of new ways to send and receive money. I think. What are your thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, it's I. It was announced at uh, SmartCon, and I I was there today. That's why I'm sort of dressed up, but I missed this <laughs> specific presentation. But I did see a ton of Chainlink fans following around Sergey, uh, the right. the founder, like like a celebrity, like he's the 
new, like he's the inventor of Facebook, like he's Zuckerberg. It's insane, <laughs> the devotion. It's really for years. But um, now they're partnering with this giant international sort of old-fashioned banking payments setup. And I don't know. So it's like it's sort of come to the conflict with uh, like crypto is supposed to be decentralized everything. And they're they're enabling their sort of cross-chain bridge stuff with uh, a really old traditional finance. But it's also big for traditional finance implementing uh, assets, digital assets and off-chain yeah. assets like mingling. I think it's cool. I also think that we've seen a ton of hacks with bridges uh, between blockchains. A yep. ton, like billions have been lost. So it's going to be interesting interesting to see how Chainlink does it because they always say they have the best security for it. Right. That will be interesting because um, and I, th I think the SWIFT people realize you're probably in 10 years' time, you're not going to be using the same – You know, SWIFT will not be processing international transfers and wires the same way they do today. I think that's a pretty safe bet. And so they know they've got to, they've got to start. Whether it, Who knows whether this thing is going to take off, but something – in, in 10 years' time, when you send an international transfer, it's going to be instant. It's going to cost very little. And, yeah. um, and, and you know, it's, it's going to not go on the same rails I have today. So kudos to them to, uh, for getting this going. Okay, moving on, talking about JP Morgan. Now, JP Morgan, this is talking about their UK operation. They're just a, they're a year old. I've been wondering how they've been going because they launched sort of their retail bank in the UK about a year ago. And, you know, they're doing, seems like, really well. I mean, Bloomberg had a, Bloomberg had a piece, the FT had a piece. Uh, clearly, they've, they, they've get getting the word out. They've got um, basically a million customers now, which is, you know, it's not bad. And the they've got um, t the average customer has in savings a savings account at uh, JP Morgan twenty seven thousand pounds in savings. So they've done ninety two million card transactions. They've got a thousand UK employees now, and so they're really doing pretty well. And in fact, they're doing as you know the only one like the other the other comp that they're they're obviously going to be um, you know compared to is um, Marcus. Now, Goldman Sachs and their markets have done have done a little bit better than uh, than what Chase has done, but good to see the big American banks making headway in the UK, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean they're huge here. They're the biggest. It feels like they're the end all be all, uh, Chase and especially Marcus. Um, so it's cool to see them in the UK. I think about how, especially recently, we've seen such scary economics coming out of the UK. How that it's like it almost seemed like this week was this funny time to release the one year data, um, but I'm happy to see they've done well so far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's, I mean, Chase is still, you know, it's the largest largest bank in this country. It's one of the largest banks in the world, and uh, clearly, they they think the UK is a market where they can they can get make get some traction, and they have been getting traction. So. You know, it's a digital bank, so they don't have a whole bunch of branches. Like here, walking through the streets in New York, it feels like there's a Chase, as many Chase oh, branches as there are everywhere. Starbucks. They're everywhere. Can barely go for a couple of blocks without one. But, um, you know, you feel, I mean, with this, this digital bank, I mean, who knows? They don't share the economics of how the bank is doing. Mm -hmm. um, we have no idea about that and don't know if they break it out on their earnings calls. I'm guessing probably not, but uh, one to watch. They've done, they've done well. Okay, moving back to crypto now and FTX. This is um, we've we've talked about Voyager Digital on this show a lot since they declared bankruptcy. This is one of the biggest fall from graces in uh, all of crypto. They were they were several billion dollars publicly traded firm on the Toronto Stock Exchange. You know they they um, FTX won the auction. 
for their assets. I don't know what those assets are exactly, but $50 million, there must be something. Um, the, the deposits, this is crypto deposits on the Voyager platform around $1.3 billion. Obviously, that's customer deposits. FTX is not going to get any of that. But, um, you know, they're, they're, they obviously think that this is, you know, I don't know what the size of their customer base is, but Voyager is now the assets of Voyager rolling into FTX, it looks like. It's it's crazy. It's crazy that there was a bidding war between FTX and I think uh, I think Binance was also yeah, on the it was list. Binance, Binance was. Well, I wouldn't call it a bidding war. It was a it was like a, a bidding kind of um, you know competition. I wouldn't yeah. call it a because <laughs> I, 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 I don't think either of them, yeah. I don't think either of them felt like oh my god we've got to have the Voyager digital assets. We're going to pay well, anything for it. What do you think? I think the coolest thing they're probably getting is data. Frankly, for yeah. all data crypto people are, it's. If you have an address that interacted with Voyager, it tells you everything about that consumer. And there might be models out there that could predictive, I don't know, predictive tech on what that consumer is likely to do or how to get them involved in your or FTX or I'm not even sure. But it's probably it's even better than an email. Right. Right. Yep. Okay, so moving on, this is a company that I've been following from day one, Nova Credit. And if you don't know Nova Credit, if, if I, I'm an immigrant to this country, so I arrived here with no credit score. I remember being declined for a $500 credit card at Macy's back in the day. That was back in the 90s. Um, and you know, I, it just, it takes a long time, you know, you, you, uh, to, you know, you become, you sort of have a certain status in your home country and you come here and you're, you're treated as if you're, um, barely, uh, barely human. So what Nova Credit does is they allow you to take, they, they, they work with 20 different countries now. Uh, they, so if I, if I was moving over here today as an Australian, they work with Australia, I could say, right, bring my Australian credit history over with me and then get and then they're working with american express and this one they're working now with hsbc so you can go and get a credit card apply uh, apply for a loan and they can use your foreign credit data so they've basically they've done they've got all the credit data from all around the world they normalize it so it's it's all basically you know the same they 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 they, they kind of extract all this data and that's really their secret source is how how they do that and now so immigrants, um, they've got this. They got this agreement with HSBC. HSBC actually invested ten million dollars in a funding round. But that, that's that's neither here nor there, as far as I'm concerned. It's what's really interesting is HSBC is maybe one of the most global banks on the planet, and they're working with Nova Credit to help them. Um, you know, really get, you know, make sure they have the right data when they're when they're approving international people. So love this, love this tie up. Yeah, it's awesome. I know uh, it was one of their growth sectors, 5% growth in international personal banking groups um, from HSBC in 2021. And I know, I mean, anything that makes an immigrant's life easier is awesome. I should try to reach out and talk to someone from uh, Nova Credit. And I know you talked to Misha, uh, yep. their CEO founder, uh, way back in the day. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know Misha really well. He's spoken at our event. I mean, they won, uh, they won our pitch it competition. God, I think it was back in 20. 16 maybe 17 i don't know it was back back in the day they won our i think it was 2017 so we've we, that's when we sort of and that was when they were like you know five people and uh and just um didn't really have uh, have much traction but i i've been i've been following because it's a, it's a problem 
you know, American born people don't realize what a problem this is when you move and, you know, you can't get a bank loan, you can't get anything. And you can, you could be earning a million dollars a year in your home country and have a, have a, have a great thick credit file. You come here and you can't get a $500 credit card, which is stupid. And that's what Nova Credit is solving for. And, And, it, well, eventually, this is going to be a solved problem, and there, and a lot of it's going to be because of the work Nova Credit's done. Nova Credit and people like them are they're going to make the world of finance a better place. That's yeah. what the future looks like. And what's really cool about this? This is actually not a U.S. story. This is uh, HSBC Singapore is actually going to be the first, um, the first part of HSBC to to launch this. So you're a U.S. U.S. person going to Singapore, Singapore to the U.S., you know, Australia to Singapore, whatever it is. The HSBC um, are going to be able to get Apparently uh, you, better can, access to you, data. Can, you can set up your you can set up a new account in a new country before you even arrive there through yeah. this system, which is really really cool because it's that is cool takes one more breath of in off your weight off your chest you know yep yep indeed indeed okay moving on from nova credit now i wanted we're going to talk about an op-ed by caitlin long CEO of Custodia Bank, uh, used to be Avanti Bank, and uh, she's obviously she's been a, a keynote speaker at our at our events over the years. And this, you know, it's funny because I, I've, to be honest, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to the Lightning Network. And she, in this op-ed in, in Forbes, and I, I encourage you to Google it. It's banks are about to face the same tsunami that hit telecom twenty years ago, and she talks about voice over IP. And how you know bank you know the telecom companies had you know billions of dollars worth of copper wire laid throughout the country um, that you know with voice over IP became kind of uh, worthless overnight. Now you know now even even all the physical wires it's all done through cellular. A lot of it, a lot of it now is anyway. But um, but my, his her point is that they're basically the, the the Bank of International Settlements is basically going to make a ruling that's going to make it harder for banks to use new the new technology. And she talks about the Lightning Network as money over IP, so money over internet protocol, just like voice over IP. And um, yeah, she's very bullish. And I, I don't know about you, Kevin, but I, I haven't really dug deeply into the into the lightning protocol until this week until i read this uh this op-ed so what are your thoughts it makes me want to dig deeper because i know so many people say this is a solved thing a solved issue with lightning network i know uh caitlin long we've talked to her before i've had the pleasure of interviewing her we were both there in austin at a at a consensus uh, event when she was yep. like the middle the level head of the group with uh, professor gray and uh, circles dante despart arguing back and forth over the future of the financial world with through stable coins and through who is going to issue new currency she's always played the middle ground and now with this i mean this op-ed is really like it, it'll it's like a tidal wave i know when it comes to her analogy or to her metaphor that um there was copper wire and then there was broadband by the time i got a phone there was just cellular so it was a solved issue by the time in like 2013 when i got a cell phone that mm-hmm. is what it will be one day for people in 2050 people in 2040 right. so she's on the right track here that it will look completely different and she's saying if regulators are careful, they will enable banks to be the new software providers and like managers of the financial system as they are now. If they're not careful, regulators will basically hand it to tech companies. And that's yeah. what she's sort of worried about. That is a crazy argument, but it just reading it, it just makes sense. It's like, yeah, there will be an evolution to this space. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the thing that about the Lightning Protocol, and it's a, it's a layer two 
Bitcoin protocol. So we think about when you think about layer twos, we've talked about them a lot on this show. It's all always about the Ethereum um, network, and uh, this is about all about Bitcoin. And the Lightning Network runs on top of Bitcoin, and the throughput they say matches the throughput of Visa today, which does you know nine hundred billion dollars a month in transactions. Uh, I don't know what that is per second, but it's a lot of transactions, obviously. Um, Lightning Lightning Network is nowhere near that right now. It's, if, it's just in the very early stages. But she's saying that this is such a big development that it, it could. I mean, and the fact that it's, it's close to zero, the cost is less than one yeah. penny. So if you can do, imagine, you know, going taking it out. I mean, this is where I feel like MasterCard and Visa uh, in in many ways in trouble because their you know their, their, their payments rails they 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 take they take the um you know they they take their piece of um you know the, of the cut of each transaction the issuing bank takes a huge cut as well obviously um, in the in the current payment system but boy if you could transact and you're if you're a merchant and you and you know, Mike Mike Cagney's figure is doing a lot of work here as well you know they already they already have a system in place where merchants can. I think it's like 95 basis points instead of 3%. So it's huge. You, you know, you're saving 2%. That's a, that's a big and benefit. And, and imagine if, 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 if this, if this gets going, I mean, imagine you could be a merchant and say, right, I'll take payments and it's going to be just a few basis points. It takes um, an hour or an hour and a half. She says to, to set up your endpoint to it with right. your own processor and not the three months or even longer that it takes to set up with traditional. Yeah. I, I think this is, um, this is really uh, an impressive. Um, you know, it's an impressive piece of piece of. Uh, I guess we call it software, but it's an impressive protocol. It. Um, we don't. I have no idea. We don't know. Kate, I, I, Caitlin Long is one of the smartest people in the space, and she is very, very bullish on this. So I'm going to be paying attention. And you know, if if the Lightning Network ends up becoming the backbone of the payments network of the 21st century, you heard it here first. <laughs> okay let's uh let's move on i want to talk about um do Kwan, who is the founder of luna and uh he you know obviously we had the luna meltdown in in uh, may of this year and you know he's been you know he's he's a wanted man now interpol have his name and they have what's called a red notice out which means all of the major countries in the world. He is a wanted Jeez. man. He's basically a fugitive in most countries. Uh, we don't know where he is. He won't say. Um, they say that, you know, with given what's happened with Luna, he needs to protect uh, his privacy. But the whole thing about this, and I, I actually have a little bit of sympathy for him because, you know, he's, he's claiming that Luna isn't a security. And um, in South Korea, it looks like for the longest time, the South Koreans put up with yeah luna isn't a security that's where he started and and so luna crashes and everyone gets everyone loses their their shirt and you know it was a south korean um you know entity that kind of uh you know that started all this and well, i think i think actually he moved to singapore but you know he's south korean and south korea has a, had a, a lot to do with it but it was fine while it was growing up, going up, and they didn't really take any action when they could have. And now it crashed, and they want to they want to take action. He claims they have changed the rules to deem retro retroactively Luna a security, and that's not fair. So, if that's actually the case, that is, I don't think that is fair. And the fact is, Luna 
you know, Luna kind of Luna crashed and a lot of people lost their money. But if you put your life savings into Luna, then you know, what's they say? Where's where's the recourse? I mean, yeah. I mean, come on, it it lost ninety nine percent of value after he was saying it's the financial future. Here's twenty percent on the dollar you can make. It crashed to everything. They said you can't do that, and they try to arrest him. Uh, and he goes into hiding right away. And the defenders say his physical his physical security is at risk. He go, I mean, it's probably true. He's his home was getting yeah. broken into. People people lost to, their life savings. I mean, well, I, I know. Everything, okay? But be, if people you want to break into their home, like of course they do. Yeah. Maybe people you're safer. Your like I, there was a lot of people your, like your age in their mid twenties who had you know four, five, six million dollars in Luna and oh, uh, earning twenty percent. That's what you could stake your Luna and earn twenty percent. On that, that's uh, you know, a lot of earning a million dollars a year just on Luna staking and uh, lost it all. So, at some point, there's got to be recourse. I mean, you need to, people oh, will. I don't know. I don't know if they should be. I mean, they, they, if he's done anything illegal, yes. But I mean, I'm sorry, but if you if you have 100% of your net worth or 90% of your, if 50% of your net worth in Luna, oh, you were crazy. People who would do that. That's the problem. The, we, we read and know about this stuff and we say, well, that's sort of sounds nuts. But people, people, I know. Get, they, I do it. I mean, you can put all your you can put all your money in a penny stock and and it can go to zero and that's 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 your bad luck and so and if there's anything illegal uh, he may have done he may there may we this story is going to play out who knows how long he's going to be on the run for whether you know he could be in Russia for all we know and uh, never will never be found but um, I you know he eventually eventually this uh, you know this will work its way work its way through and I imagine. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's got a team of team of lawyers that are trying to help, but he maintains he's not on the run. But no one knows where he is. <laughs> he's not on the run. He's just more not. more to come on this story. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're going to end with um, a story about Upstart, and this was in American Banker this week. Um, you know, Upstart. This they've you know they had this no action letter with the CFPB that expired, um, and you know which was mutual. But then since then, there's been this. Uh, They've been, someone's been monitoring. This is a voluntary thing that Upstart did. Like, and, and, and to their credit, they really do seem to care about fair lending and they want to, they want this to be the right thing. And we always know that we all know that, you know, black and Hispanic borrowers are not approved at a, as higher rates as white borrowers. That has happened throughout history and Upstart claim that they're, they're, they're really doing a better job than most. Apparently they're not doing as good a job as uh, as as many would like, and there's still there's still a lot of disparity there, and um, you know I feel like, you know I like Upstart. I think they're I think they're a good company. They try, but you know there are people up in arms that they're not they're not fair enough is what it seems like to to many people. Yeah, they 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 were audited and found that they there was disparities in uh, different demographics. Uh, that like non-Hispanic whites get higher approval rates on the same data too, right? Like it's not even, it's not even different like approval ratings that they should get. It's just if you're if you're black Hispanic, you get worse approval rates. That's awful, and it's a known problem. And and to Upstart's credit, they they went to that. They said this is our credit data is based on employment things and uh, education and other things that aren't directly related to normal credit scores. But we still derive a lot of data from that, and a lot of credit scores data we know are uh, dated and based in like regressive concepts where yeah. people of different types just get worse approvals for very little reason or yeah. not. Yeah. And there, there's more to come on this story and it's clearly not, uh, you know, 
it's a it's a difficult problem. Upstart, to their credit, they actually launched this new project called More Than Fair, which uh, well, they, they didn't launch. They they actually collaborate with a whole bunch of uh, bunch of actors in the industry uh, to try and really you know have get lending to be more fair. And uh, I think there's 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 more work to be done. I think I feel like we've come a long way. I think the online lending space has done a really good job, but you know there's there's more work to be done and. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, the, the data, there's a lot of data out there. It's, it, you know, some of the, some of this data is proxy for race. And I mean, I, I don't think Upstart, uh, I think they're really trying hard to make things, um, to make their lending models fair, but uh, people see AI lending models and they just have, they hold up a red flag. So, yeah. I mean, you saw it in PPP, you see it again yeah. and again, that there's just disparities and yeah. it's just so frustrating because it's pointless. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is all we have time for. Kevin and I have to jump, run to a happy hour right now. So uh, we are going to end just a minute or two early. Thank you all so much uh, for watching or listening. And uh, we'll be back same time next week. And I'm sure Todd will be back on deck then. So thanks again, Kevin. And thanks everybody for watching. See ya. See ya.